0: Pardon me. Uh, Before we look into the word, let's uh, turn to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we come with a a certain level of expectation uh, before your throne this afternoon. Uh, Unfortunately, Father, it's not enough for what you have in store for us. And Father, we so often long for less than you are willing to give us. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would birth in our hearts a greater expectation than we would ever dare to have, um, that we would ever claim to be worthy of. But, Father, we know that through Jesus Christ, you want to give your blessings and your love and your wisdom to all of your children and to draw all men to you. And so, Father, we know that uh, you look to bless us through your word. Help us, Father, to approach now uh, this Word with humility, uh, without bias, and to hear the message of Scripture and to have the hope that you want to extend to mankind. Father, we so desperately need hope in this time, and so we ask for um, the hope from your Word. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would now speak to our hearts, that we would approach your throne with uh, eager expectation and um, help us, Father, to be free of distraction, free of tiredness, so that we would be able to hear the words of life. We thank you, Father, that you have made all this possible um, through Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So this morning, um, back home, Back home, Brother Ben um, read from uh, the letter of Peter, the first letter of Peter. And uh, that's not where our text is coming from, so don't have to turn there. But in uh, the verse, verse 3, he mentioned this. um, And he he summarized, in a sense, the letter of Peter as a message of hope. And that's a beautiful message. It says in verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What a beautiful verse. And in this time that we live in, I I really, especially this week, I've been um, confronted with and and thinking a lot about hope. And, um, you know, many of you know uh, very well what the world is facing as far as this COVID-19 virus, coronavirus, and um, people are scared. And there's a lot of young kids who are scared, you know, because in a, inadvertently what a lot of adults are doing is they're panicking and, and you know their kids are looking to them for security. And, and so there's a lot of kids being distressed. A lot of young children don't know what to do because we're such sensational reporting of everything and, and they're insecure, they need hope. Um, also you know I've been hearing about the stock market I listen to the uh, the business news in the morning and you know it's a funny thing the stock market is is a barometer of hope Of our society. So for those people who um, have hope that the future is uh, looking bright, that the future is going to be good, that things are going to progress and that uh, times, the crops and businesses and so on are going to do well, if they have money, they're inclined to take this money and and put it into something. I have hope that this business is going to increase and so I'm going to invest in this business. I have hope that um, You know, transportation is going to continue, and so I'm going to put my money into oil stocks. Or, you know, in different ways, we invest resources based upon what we hope. See, we would be a fool, an utter fool, if I think that the economy is is on the precipice of total collapse, and I start pouring all of my money into it. Complete absurdity. Wouldn't you agree? We wouldn't do that. So we have these barometers of hope so that when, when we see things, and I've been watching, and there's been certain indicators that things are not quite so rosy, that the hope of people is waning a little bit. And, and those who are in the know and, and are speculating, because a lot of this is speculation, we think that this is going to get better, they're, they're scared. And so we need hope. And the world is suffering climate change how many predictions have come about climate change and how dire it is some are even putting uh, uh, a finite time on how much longer this earth will last if we don't you know change our practices and it's usually driven by some sort of a motive to uh, change the practice of people And, and so you know inadvertently what people don't realize and I've mentioned this already is that our young people little children are becoming very scared AND THEY NEED HOPE. THIS AFTERNOON, I WOULD LIKE TO um, LOOK INTO THE WORD OF GOD, BUT AT HOME IN in OUR uh, HOME CHURCH I'VE BEEN GOING THROUGH THE BOOK OF REVELATION, AND I DARE SAY THE BOOK OF REVELATION, MAYBE WE WOULD NEVER HAVE THOUGHT OF THIS IN THE PAST, BUT I HAVE COME TO UNDERSTAND THE BOOK OF REVELATION IS A BOOK OF HOPE, SO MUCH HOPE for the believer in the book of Revelation. So I'd like to now, if you would turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 11. So for some of you who were in our home church, you may have already heard this. I apologize. But this is, in a world that so desperately needs to hear hope, this is perhaps the most hopeless scripture that faces humanity. This is the most hopeless scenario. We are going to read about the most utterly hopeless time that will ever face humanity. So let's read. And it has nothing to do with the earth. has nothing to do with the economy. has nothing to do with uh, social this or that or anything. Verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, was cast into the lake of fire. So we see, it opens up here in verse 11, at the great white throne that appears, and him that sat on the throne, We it would be Jesus or God himself. In, in Revelation, it was always God who we pictured, or is pictured on the throne, but although Jesus is also um, said that he is on the throne. And um, we see this throne appear, this great white throne, this throne of purity and justice, of righteousness, um, and on the throne is, uh, is somebody so great, somebody that is so um, majestic, and, and we probably can't even wrap our heads around the attributes of this one who sits on the throne of the Lord, that heaven and earth fled away and there was no found, found no place for them. You know, when we worry about you know, the climate and so on, this is telling us this is total, absolute collapse of the earth. Forget about trying to save the economy or the, you know, the ozone layer and, and you know, the, the rivers and, the, and so on. Total and utter collapse. Um, if we read here um, in 2 Peter, there's a scripture that talks about the day of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord that we've just read about. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There is no ambiguity as to what's happening here to the earth, total and utter destruction of the earth. And so when we in our, in our, uh, search for hope, we sometimes look to the earth and and look to the world about us and we try to take maybe some encouragement from, you know, seeing these nice pictures of of a park that's been, uh, or industrial land that's been turned into a park or something like that. We're looking for hope in all the wrong places. The earth Although it's a beautiful place, although it's it's something that men and, and women were supposed to uh, care for and cherish and nourish, it's going to pass away. It's going to melt with a fervent heat, it says here. And there's no place found from. We see, actually, in the next chapter, because uh, we're right at the end of chapter 20, but in chapter 21, that theme continues of the new heaven and the new earth. So... If you want to you know, continue on in that, that thinking or, or in that uh, theme, look to the next chapter already. But it says here that the books were opened. This is a, a, a very strong, um, it's a terrible day. This day is going to come, and it's a terrible day. Uh, it says, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. No respecter of person. You're not going to have the billionaires over here, the millionaires here, and the peasants here. The small and great, all of them stood together before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So in Daniel 7, this scripture, and if you don't know Revelation well, almost 60-70% to of Revelation is almost a direct quotation of other scriptures. See, this was not something new. This was not something that the, the Jewish people or the new believers were suddenly like, whoa, I never saw that. I never heard about this. This is a new concept. No, 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 none of that. This is God unveiling Jesus Christ, whom he has been foreshadowing through the word, always pointing to. The prophets were always pointing forward to the one who is coming, the, the the day of the Lord and so on and this here we see is a direct quotation or almost direct quotation of Daniel chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 it says in those scriptures I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancients of da- ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool his throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire and a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him thousands thousands Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened, it says. Daniel chapter 12 also speaks of this time. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So we see this idea of the books being opened here, a record being kept, and the um, only people who will not suffer the second death are those whose names were written in the book of life. So this is important. And when I told you at the beginning we need hope, but this is not a, a, a scripture of hope, I'll tell you why this is not a scripture of hope. Because this is not a trial. This is not a time when, you know, you can come before the king sitting on the throne, the ancient of days, and plead your case. That's done. The time for this is over. This is the most hopeless time because if you find yourself uh, before the Ancient of Days sitting on his great white throne, you have absolutely no hope. And you are going to search for hope. You are going to wish that you could crawl into the earth, that you could you know, go to any sort of comfort that you have. It's all gone. It is all fled away from God, from before the face of God. And there's no place for it. And there's no place for you. And this is such a desperate and a hopeless scripture, because this is not a trial. This is the rendering of the verdict. The trial has happened already. the The time for defense and, and for uh, you know uh, prosecution, all of that, that's all happened. The opportunity for the person to hear the sentence and and to, you know, uh, plead their case and perhaps change their ways and all these sort of things, that's all done. The books are opened. You have nothing to say. You cannot plead anymore. It's only the time of the judgment. So in the ancient times, you know, speaking of these books, they would keep records or genealogies. Um, records of the living if we look back in uh, revelation chapter 3 actually we can see this uh, example in when Jesus was speaking to the church of Sardis he said he that overcometh he that overcometh shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So Jesus was speaking to these believers in, in Sardis, and there was only a few of them, and they were in a constant threat of having their names stricken from the archives of the living. So in, in Sardis was particularly known as a royal a city that had these royal archives, and they would keep records or registers of the people who were alive. And so if you were um, a part of this city, you know, and, and they would record your genealogy, your, your family, um, your, perhaps your occupation, and different things like that, maybe things of notoriety and so on. And when you died, you would be taken out of the book of life. But there was also a situation where if you uh, committed a crime... Um, there was a possibility that you could be taken out of this book of life in Sardis or in in other countries as well. So here the Christians were constantly under threat because they could be branded as political or social rebels. There was a chance that each Christian, because they were so counter to the culture, faced this threat that they could be stricken out of the Sardis book of life. And Jesus promised them. He says, I will never... uh, uh, blot you out of the book of life, and I will confess thy name before my Father and before his angels. This was a promise that Jesus gave to the believers, that you need to know for certain that in me, your name is secure in the book of life. And this is the, uh, what we are, are witnessing those who are not now in the book of life. It says in verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. So, so many people would have been uh, shipwrecked and so on. The, so, the sea is, is this place of death, a burial. Um, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So, another way of saying that would be death and the grave delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to his works. And see, this is where the hopelessness comes from. This is at the root of all hopelessness is that the men and women who stood before God and the books opened and they were judged, everyone, according to their works. And that's all the difference in the world. What will you be judged upon? What will, when when you stand before God and those books are opened and he's going to say, in my holiness, I have told you this is offensive to me and this and so on. We know what the standard is. It's not like we, you know, we suddenly stand before God and like, what? I didn't know that. Who, nobody ever told me that that was wrong. Because you do know it's wrong. And you still do it. And you still did it. And he's going to read, and, and I, I don't know this exactly, but I'm, I'm imagining that he's going to read the accusations. And he's going to point you out and he's going to say your name, you did this. And he's not going to ask you how you plead, because he already knows you did it. And you have nothing. You will have no recourse. You will have no uh, uh, time for explanation. Remember, this is not the trial. This is the rendering of the judgment. And you will stand before God, and your works will condemn you, because all sin is unrighteousness. There is nothing that you can say, well, you know, it's not my fault. It was my parents' fault. They were so messed up and, and look at me. It's amazing that I turned out the way I did. None of that. Your works will condemn you. Not anybody else's, but only yours. And according to the standard of holiness that God upholds, the law of justice, the righteousness of God, it, your sin deserves death. See, there, there's no... At this point, there's nothing for you. Now, now think about that time. Think about that time. You know, we live in hope. And sometimes we feel hopeless. Sometimes, you know, it's such a sad thing when when somebody uh, takes their own life because I think they probably have been so deceived by our enemy that they believe there's no hope. But there is hope. Every one of you has hope. You know, the songs that we sung here uh, in the pews speak of hope. Two ways, old man, before you lie. You still have hope today while it is still a choice for you. You have hope. You have uh, something, this knowledge that okay, maybe I, right now I'm really struggling with the, the motivation to become a Christian. You know, maybe certain things in my life are really, really dear to me and important to me, and I don't want to give those things up. And, and you know, oh, I just feel so um, enslaved to this sin. But you still have hope because you still know there's a chance. You will have no hope on this day. And that is why I confidently say this is the most hopeless that humanity ever will be. But we do need hope. You need hope. And there's many in here who do not, cannot claim the hope of salvation. Your names are not written in the book of life. See, can you imagine if, again, let's imagine you're you're standing before the throne. You know, God's not going to do this. But how many of you would say, God, just look in the book of life. Oh, please, I know that if my name is not in that book that I'm lost. But just, please, will you just double check. Maybe it was missed. Maybe it's on the last page. Maybe the page was folded. Just please check. We're going to desperately, you know, cling on to some sort of hope that God was imperfect and he failed, but there is no hope. The only ones who will have hope are those whose name is written in the book of life. So this is, a, a, we got to finish on this point. We have to talk about the book of life. So again, like I mentioned before, the book of life is not a new concept. Um, this was practiced in Sardis. This is practiced in Exodus. Uh, it talks about uh, Moses and, and God are having a conversation about the book of life. In the book of Malachi, it's it's a book of remembrance. It was written before him, uh, speaking of God. Uh, Luke chapter 10 talks about, um, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirit's a subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's this idea that your name at a certain time in your life becomes written into the, the, the scroll or into the archive, into the book. And in Revelations chapter 3 verse 5 what I mentioned earlier he that overcometh now this is the promise of Jesus he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels and brothers and sisters this is something that we always need to remember but especially for you who are not believers you need to recognize that it is not the works that will one day save you in the book of life there is not a list of all of the works that you have done and in some sort of uh, mysterious kind of cosmic balance beam that says, okay, you know, uh, this this young lad, he did a whole bunch of really, really good things and, okay, bad things too. There's none of that. It's a name. The name goes into the book and it's only the name that's recalled. Now, believers, we will be. uh, Jesus does remember the works that we do and so on, but that's not what we're talking about here. In the final happenings, a place in the book of life is what distinguishes the saved from the damned. Are you in the book of life or are you not? So we need to know how, and I cannot finish, I'm sorry I'm going to go over time here a little bit, but it has to be spoken. How do you get your name into the book of life? This is the question that every one of us has to wrestle with, every one of us who does not want to meet this day of utter hopelessness. You need to hear this. Let's look at Romans chapter 3. And I'm going to encourage everybody to to turn to this because I want you to be able to go back to this and to see it in the book and to read it yourselves and to read it again and again and again. So let's look at Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 20. And it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So nothing you can do. And this is really important. Believers and unbelievers. There's nothing that justified you or will justify you in God's sight. No action. No work. No amount of money that you've given. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, it says. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So the righteousness without the law is what we're talking about. Now, how do we attain righteousness without the law? Um so even righteousness of god which is by faith of jesus christ which is by faith of jesus christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is that is in christ jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. The righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus, it says in verse 22. The righteousness of God, that that is that, that moment when your name is written into the book of life. When we, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God in his grace, then, because of the faith and because of the work of Jesus Christ, gives his righteousness or imputes his righteousness unto us. So what is righteousness quickly? Uh, It's conformity of heart and life to the divine law. You will never do that on your own. And so your own righteousness will never bring you into conformity of heart and life to the divine law. So God imputes it to us. It means he charges to the account of us, or he attributes us. He yields it as a due to us, or considers righteousness as belonging to you. That's what it means to have righteousness imputed to you. So he says, because of the faith that you have, because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that his death... On the cross was uh, the propitiation was that substitution for the death that you were supposed to uh, inherit or to pay because of your faith in that because of your faith and, and submission to God as the Father and the Creator and the Lord of life then because of that faith he says and now Christ's righteousness I will charge it to your account your righteousness It's it's worthless. It's as filthy rags, but Christ's righteousness. And now, here's the beautiful thing. I'm going to see you, God sees you as being righteous because of your faith, your submission, your surrender. Not because of your ability to do the law. Not because of your ability to be good or, or to please your parents or anything like that. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ. John chapter 20, verse 31 says, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Ephesians 2, verse 9, and these are all reinforcing this message. The book of life, the entrance to the book of life is through faith in Jesus Christ and the Righteousness of Christ being imputed to us. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Again, remember, the people who were judged by their works were the ones who were judged out of the books, and by their works they were condemned. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life, from death being his the only account that God would look at is the, is the books that were opened, the books of the works of man, and you've passed from that now into the book of life. We need hope. You need hope. Because if you find yourself on that day before the great white throne and the ancient of days, you have no hope. In this world, we need hope even. Believers, we need hope. And we have to cling to the hope that our names are written in the book of life and that we, through faith in Jesus Christ, have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. We're imperfect. We fail. But we need to cling to that hope and not dismay, not lose hope in our Christian walk. But we need to walk with hope. And you, my dear friend, you need to know that God is... He's he's not just... It's not like a you know, a hard test sort of thing that you got. Well, I don't know if I'm going to let you in or not. He's calling to you. He's calling to you and saying, come, come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will give you freedom. I will give you peace. I will give you uh, rest from the, the slavery of sin. Come unto me. He's calling out to you. Will you find your names? written in the book of life? Will you have that confidence through faith in Jesus Christ? Or will you despair and give up hope because your own works are of no value to God? We need hope. And so I pray that you will think about these words. These are words you know. And if you don't know about it, if, if that's still something that's so mysterious to you or, or something that you just have a hard time wrestling with, you know, oh, it seems so hard and I can't, you need to talk to a brother or a sister who's going to be able to help you to understand that it's by faith in jesus christ alone it's not by works it's not about how good you are it's not about how how hard you try and how how many of the check boxes of, of good living you were able to check it's about is your name written in the book of life amen
1: normally we would conclude it after the prayer but since we have A little bit of time and a few guests, I'd like to conclude with another song along the same theme, just trying to find it, 789, Whispering Hope, 789 from the Gospel Hymns. Let's have three verses. 789. We've heard so much of the hopelessness of this world, but the hope that we as believers have in Christ. can hardly believe it's been eight years, nine years, since our first trip to Zambia. And um, I was asked to have a talk, a sermon to the local Zambians there. And I said, What should we talk about? What what do they need to hear the most? And you know what it was? It was hope. We did some research before we left. There was a group of 15, 17 of us, I forget exactly, exactly how many. And the average lifespan of the Zambian at that time maybe it's improved a little bit, was 38 years. 38 years from crib to grave, the average. And about four years ago, five years ago, I went to a graveyard because we wanted to see his ambient funeral. It was such a sad picture. They don't have the, the marble tombstones and the, the big images and the photographs. They had little plaques, tin plaques, painted, and over time rusted and, and paint dripping and, and and you can see that the statistics were true. So and so born in. 1985, January the 10th, died in 1987, February the 27th. So and so born in this year. Five years later, is gone. So and so born, and it was it was sad. As I was preaching, I saw this old man. Must have been five foot two sitting in in the back row and he was constantly crying and weeping tears just coming flooding his eyes after my sermon i went to to meet him he came he wanted to meet me and he said he just lost his son to aids talk about hopelessness talk about misery, talk about sorrow. And that's what this world, God has allowed this world to come to this predicament. The chapter that I preached out of was Romans chapter 8. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly. He didn't ask for it. We didn't ask to be here. By reason of Him, God, who hath subjected the same to vanity in you know. hope. Because the creature itself also shall one day be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty. Of the children of God and then he goes on and he tells us that God is going to make sense of all of this all the calamities all the pestilences all the diseases all the wars all the, the famines and, and, and droughts and floods and fires And he says the whole of creation groans and travails in pain together. We tr- we're here in it together. We're in this predicament together. And not only they, but ourselves, Christians, believers, we have the first fruits of the spirit and we ourselves groan within us, waiting for what? For that blessed hope to wit the redemption of our bodies. That's gonna be the adoption. Because it's the, the adoption, when we become officially the adopted heirs into the kingdom of God, and we partake of all the heritage that He has prepared for us, to wit, to know this, that this adoption is the redemption of our body. for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. We haven't seen it yet. For if we see it, what do we yet hope for, he says. But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And who will help us in all of our infirmities but the Holy Spirit? For we we don't even know sometimes what we need to pray for. Sometimes we don't know how to pray it. But the spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered that cannot be heard by the human ear or spoken and he that searches our hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of god and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and to them that are the called according to his purpose. We have that hope. We don't have the hope of an, of, a, of an ass or an ox, as the psalmist says. We have the hope of a child of God waiting to be adopted into his family. To live in that majestic eternal city that we heard of in the next chapter in in revelation 21. do we have that hope or do we have the hope of an ass of a donkey of an ox when your life is over it's over but for the human soul i think he's the Psalm 106 two ways two ways either eternal bliss or eternal damnation John 5 which he read from there'll be a resurrection a resurrection of the just and a resurrection of the damned those that have done good unto resurrection unto eternal life and those that have done evil unto resurrection of damnation Jesus said which one Will you choose? Thank you, Brother Thomas, for a timely message. We pray that it may have its impact upon each and every one of us. But to God be all the glory for good things he has done for us. Amen. This concludes our service.